can we acknowledge that I picked the winners last time before the event started? I think we could acknowledge that you picked the winners last time before the event started. Yeah. So it's Easton Podcast 139. I'm George Tekmanchov here with Steve the Big Cat Anderson. And Steve, uh, two days ago before Tokyo, and, uh, you know, there's there's a whole lot going on. Uh, the field at Yumenoshima looks great. It's probably going to be rainy and windy uh, towards the finals based on the extended forecast that's out right now. But we're not there yet. We haven't started yet. But as you, uh, as you mentioned before we started, you have a track record of calling some of these things. What are your thoughts uh, for this one? A track record that goes back all the way to the one time I was at the Olympics. Yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> but uh, yes, I did pick the winners last time. And are you picking uh, them again this time? I, I am not going to count on myself being correct again, but I think we'll have to, during this show, make some, maybe we'll make some picks on, you know, who we think is most likely Uh to be a podium trio, maybe a, a couple of dark horses. Um, you know, we should, we should figure out some categories to select from oldest, youngest, potential medalist, stuff it's like that. Because, you know, the oldest guy at the, at the event and the youngest guy at the event are both from the same team. And that's Korea. Mr. So that o. Could be, yeah. Mr. O is the oldest. If he wins, he'll be the Olympic. He'll be the oldest Olympic medalist in the modern era. Who is that currently? I believe you, you just caught me with a question that I'm going to have some trouble answering. Mr. O might be one of the oldest as is. Yeah, that's right. You know, from the London well, games. So. How old is he? 38? Yeah. So he was 29 at London. Yeah. So I don't think that he makes wouldn't him be, the oldest. Yeah, he time. wouldn't be the oldest. Well, uh, we'll have to look that up. We'll have to look that up. We'll, we'll, we'll drop in a... Uh, Right here, we'll drop in a, uh, an answer to the question. Seems to be Ojin Hyuk a month before his 32nd birthday. Okay. All right. So now that we know who that is, <laughs> moving on. <laughs> Mixed team is the first thing on the calendar. After the qualification round that takes place before the opening ceremony, our mixed team event will be taking place. You got any thoughts about uh, top contenders for the mixed team? Um. Korea. Yeah, Korea. I mean, that's the low-hanging fruit for sure. Yes. I'm going to say India. Yeah. The husband and wife team of Vatnu Das and Deepika Kumari could very well factor in in the mixed team round. No doubt about it. Um, and... Depending upon who the Americans pick, um, you know, because the coach does not have to pick who's shooting until one hour before the thing starts. <laughs> Well, then they're picking Brady. Uh, <laughs> well, presuming presuming Brady's shooting really well, yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting because, you know, historically at World Cups, for those who don't know, Team USA at least selects the mixed team based off whichever person qualified the highest. But we've had other instances where, such as in field trials, we picked our team for field based off who won trials. So I don't know if, you know, there's never been a standard for how we select the Olympics mixed team. Um, yeah. Since this is the first time. Yeah. I don't know. I'm sure they've got that hashed out. 
Yeah. I'm sure you're right. But it'll be interesting to see. I, I think the real interest is going to be, will it be Casey or will it be McKenzie? I, I really think it'll come down to those two. Yeah, and, you know, if Jack has a good day and Brady doesn't have, you know, his his best, Jack will be right there too because, you know, it's, what we've seen this year is Jack is typically five, ten points back is all. So, yeah, the uncontroversial choice will be Brady and either Casey or McKenzie, both of which are proven combinations. So we'll see how that goes. As far as Korea yeah. goes, you know, they'll they'll go off of, uh, you know, whoever they feel has the best shot at winning, regardless, right. perhaps, of the uh, possibly regardless of the placement in the uh, qualifying round. Yeah. And then when it, you know, I, you got to you got to give the home team some. Props. I mean, the possibility of the Japanese home team, whether that's uh, Takahara Furukawa or one of his male teammates, along with a couple of uh, prospects there for the women, I think that that is a possible combination that could medal. I don't know if they win, but I think they could medal. And I think that could be a pretty big deal for Japan. So we'll see. But, you know, there's so many unknowns. Uh, we have not seen China in action in in quite a while so we have no idea what they're bringing they certainly brought a strong team to rio i have no doubt they brought a strong team here yes um i'm looking at this article here about about the mixed team yeah Yeah, you don't even think about you know yeah japan's gonna be a contender yeah i I don't think mexico will be a contender i think they will We'll, we'll differ on this one i think mexico might surprise us Luis Alvarez isn't shooting good enough right now compared to every other person that they're going to face when it yeah, comes that's down why, to a, a top why eight we play match. the game. That's why we play the game. We'll see. Now, you know, to your point, there will be a cut. Um, you know, half the half the field will be gone. Um, so we'll see what happens. But if Mexico makes it through, I don't know, man. We'll see. Hope you're I wrong. Will I'd love to lunch. see them do it. I will bet you lunch they don't make the top – what's the cut, 16 teams? Uh, eight. Oh, they're not making the cut. All right, I'll take that bet. We'll see what happens. Here's my cut. I'm going to go through it right now. I'm going to pick go eight ahead. teams. Okay? Go ahead. Chinese Taipei. Uh-huh, I agree. India. Yes. Japan, Korea, Netherlands. I don't agree about Netherlands, but go ahead. Oh, they're going to make that cut. Mm, Turkey. Yeah. USA. Yes. And that last one, I'm going to say probably Germany. Germany, huh? I think China's going to be in there, man. I, You know, I wanted to pick China, but I'm going to be honest. I never know who anyone on their team is. No, and nor do I, to be brutally honest with you. And, and you know. Yeah, uh, they might have the world's best shooter right now. You just don't see them everywhere. They sometimes just don't go. Right. So Never we will know. find out. We'll find out in the next three days. We'll know. But, you know, right now, as we speak, big unknown quantity and certainly not one to be dismissed easily. So that'll be, uh, that'll be challenging to see, you know, just how they perform, considering that this is the first big event that they've been to in quite a while. And it's the biggest of the big as it goes. Yes, it is. Any, uh, um, any, anybody who, anybody oh. who dismisses Mete Gazos 
is probably making a mistake. I think Mete is going to be a factor at these games. Oh, he, I, he could he could be a double medalist. Yeah, yeah. that the uh, Yasmin Anagaz, his yeah, his uh, teammate on the women's side, she's pretty confident shooter as well. And I watched her at the uh, FQT, very confident shooter. I'm not sure she's always you know the best shooter or even close to it, but I don't think she's going to be. Uh, I don't think she's going to falter because of the the nature of the event. So whatever she's, she's got, she'll give you that day. That's how I, I see it. I, I absolutely agree. When it comes to the team rounds, it's going to be interesting uh, for the women. You know, you've got so many good ones in there. Uh, we've got Chinese Taipei, certainly, that you brought up earlier. And uh, there is Korea and there is People's Republic of China. Um, there's a number of other strong women's teams. It'll be interesting to see how Japan fares uh, since a couple of these shooters are, are relatively untested at this level. Uh, so, you know, there, there could be uh, a lot going on here. It'll be interesting to see whether Chinese Taipei and Korea find themselves tangled up. Uh, the only thing about this event, about the mixed team that stinks is that it's set system. Yeah. It can be over and done with in eight arrows. Yes, that's true. Absolutely. So you, that's you one can, of the reasons, by the way, why it was accepted by the IOC is because it's quick matches. But yeah, to your point, that's a tough. That's a tough thing, man. You don't. Uh, you don't always get your best team. Sometimes your luckiest team wins, not your best. Yeah. Team. Yeah. No. Absolutely, so, I agree. Yeah, I, I think if this was a if they shot a sixteen arrow match like compound. That's still really – it's still very short. But in that scenario, I, I would pick – I'd pick Korea about 100% of the time. Um, Your money would be safer there, yeah. Man, you know what? I'm, I'm, uh, I'm fairly confident in – here's my three. Here's my mixed team medalists. And it, it – we should actually redo this. We should go through and have another podcast once the, the bracket is set. Yeah, we will. Um, but my my pre-tournament, pre-qualification pick, Chinese Taipei, Korea, USA. All right. Okay. We'll I almost revisit. picked Turkey there. Really almost picked Turkey. Yeah, because I mean, you know, uh, for sure, Meta is going to bring it. No, sorry, doubt did you just that. call meat Meta? I did. Okay. Yeah, I did. So, I heard he likes to be called meat. Well, maybe only if you call him that. I have a feeling he wouldn't put up with it from anyone else, but I could be wrong. So three o'clock this morning, World Archery asked me for my <laughs> prognostications. Obviously, they're all working on Tokyo time over there right now, and um, you know they're they, you know they're putting together one of those usual pieces that they do to uh, find out what's happening. You know, and the first question they had they had was the circumstances surrounding this year's Olympics are wildly different compared to previous games, and how will the absence of spectators affect the outcome of the archery events? So my general answer is that that really depends on the individual psychology of each competitor. You know, Steve, some people like to play to a crowd. Brady's one of those guys. 
Brady loves playing to a crowd. Yeah. But, but some we really people, don't have, like, you know, boisterous crowds in archery. Ever. Well, that's the point. Yeah. I mean, relatively speaking, you're right. But the Olympics are an exception uh, for sure. Lord's Cricket Ground, that was a boi- as boisterous a crowd as you're ever going to see, you know, in, in London in 2012. And, uh, you know, we, we generally pull a pretty good crowd for the Olympic Games. A uh, few exceptions. Beijing might have been an exception, but uh, we had a huge crowd in Sydney, a tremendous crowd in Atlanta. Heck, we had a pretty boisterous crowd. We had a bunch of people with with brass and, and drums up in the stands in Barcelona. So, you know, uh, I think that, you know, we would have had a great crowd in Tokyo, but unfortunately there isn't going to be one. So I'll say this, though. Every archer standing out there at Yumenoshima at least subconsciously is aware that the world is watching what they're doing because each match is individual, which is one of the best things that they've done since uh, after Beijing is have every single match get its day in the sun. And so the eyes of the world are on every match, every shot, and that's going to have some impact because there's nothing else in our sport with more pressure than an Olympic match. And uh, so I think that's, that's, you know, going to be something. I, I also think, Steve, and I talked to Dean Alberga about this a little bit in the podcast we uh, we did last week. I think the sound of photography shutters is going to freak a few people out. I really do. Mm. Not not it, the more experienced ones, but some shooters are going to stand up there and they're going to hear this wall of noise coming from photo shutters. Um, you know, even yeah. with modern SLRs, it's noisy. And it, anyone who's made a finals has heard that, you know, a lot. Yeah, yeah. You're going to hear more of it at the Olympics. There are going to be a lot of cameras from people who otherwise are not at archery events. Exactly. But yes, it will affect those who are typically not in the finals, which maybe will lessen the early round upsets. Yes. The second question they had was that a number of countries, most notably Korea, skipped the international circuit to focus on the Olympics. So how do we think their decisions will affect their performance at the Games? I would say experience has shown not much because uh, you know i would have before the season started i would have said yeah that might hurt them but it i don't think so now because no. when you look at how some of the top shooters did out of the gate at world cups this season i think we're going to see the usual korean brilliance but i also think we're going to see some upsets steve upsets are inevitable the, you could argue the best thing they could do is stay at home and shoot against themselves yeah well we'll find out shoot soon we'll find out we will find out soon whether that's true, but um, you know, I'll, I'll say this as well. Um, we have a tremendous opportunity to see just how people can come through the kind of thing we've been through in the last 15, 16 months. Um, I think there will be some great stories told coming out of this thing. The other, the other question they have is who are your favorites to win in Tokyo? And my answer to that is it comes down to who can handle the, the heat and humidity of Tokyo. The one time in my entire archery career where I came close to getting heat stroke was a tournament in Tokyo right at this time of year. It is nothing to you know trivialize. It is a big deal. Uh, the, the heat and humidity, usually your number in uh, Fahrenheit, your temperature number in Fahrenheit and your humidity are right on par. So it can be 90 degrees and 90% humidity. And that feels like about 110 and it's, it's nothing trivial. So, and it's going to be windy. 
at this at this venue. But um, you know, it, like I said, it comes down to who can handle the heat and humidity. Korea shoots in this kind of thing all the time. Um, Mexico, you know, they 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 can deal with heat to some degree. Uh, China, for sure. Anybody from Asia is going to have some advantage, both due to the time zone differences, which actually do take more than a week to get used to, and some other things. I think we'll see something special from Japan here as a result of the of the weather as well. I mean, this is, you know, they're used to it. So you're predicting, I was about to make the joke that you're predicting that the Japanese archers will be able to acclimate well to the weather in Japan. Uh-huh. Yeah, I am saying that. <laughs> The other, the other question, the final one was, uh, what are you the most excited about for this year's Olympics? And, and my answer is that we're having them. You know, <laughs> I'm going to be really relieved when this thing is in the books. I mean, they're, the, the C word is still being tossed around. And I don't mean COVID. Um, you know, they're still, as of this morning, there was a headline. Oh, officials still possibly considering cancellation due to, you know, four cases of COVID that were found in the Olympic Village. <laughs> I, I honestly don't think that's going to be happening but uh you know cancellation would be devastating for our sport steve um it's it's already bad enough that we don't have volunteers and spectators who can't be there in person right and and i can certainly relate to their feelings i mean i've gone to japan an average of three times a year for 25 years you know work closely with a lot of the officials there um you know build up to the games and the preparations for tokyo for a lot of that time i've been there and i really think this is going to be uh bittersweet for a lot of folks in Japan who've worked hard behind the scenes to, to bring the games to Tokyo. But I do think that Tokyo is going to be a great springboard for Paris. Remember, Paris is only three months, three years away. Paris is only three years away. Mm-hmm. And when you consider what the world has thrown at us in the last you know 18 months, whatever, the fact that our sport is back on the biggest stage ever is a great thing. I can't disagree with you on any of those. So what are you the most excited about for, for this year's games? Uh, skateboarding, Nigel Houston. Is that an American? Yeah. He's like the Kobe Bryant, Michael Jordan, uh, Willie Mays, Babe Ruth, Usain Bolt of skateboarding. Hmm. Well. You know, they did add a number of things uh, to try to increase the interest of youth and naturally bringing in stuff like skateboarding. Some of the other things they're bringing in are certainly going to add to the longevity, the relevance of the games moving forward, moving yeah. moving ahead, moving down the line. Uh, I'd say, you know, obviously I'm excited to watch the archery and see what happens there. Um. I like the angle that you're thinking of other sports here. I, I'm really not. So uh, any others that? Uh, well, you mind? know, I ran track and field growing up. So I always watched track and field. Um, I watched the trials here in the U.S. and then some of the Diamond League events. And, and uh, I thought that track performances would suck this year. I honestly thought like, oh, people are going to stink. And there's a lot of really good times and marks being uh, achieved. So you're not going to have any Usain Bolts. 
you know, at this year's Olympics, but there are yeah. some really, really good athletes there. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of people, are. a lot of people did really well with managing their time well and taking advantage of opportunities during the lockdowns and stuff. Yeah. And, uh, there was the ability to now train for the long term rather than for the, you know, the important meet coming up in two months or whatever. Or, and the same in archery, you know, people were able to kind of rebuild or just refocus and, and not be constantly on the road. Like think about a fresh Kim Woo Jin. Yeah. You know, a guy who shot 700 on a rickety stage in, in Rio <laughs> and it wasn't that great of conditions, you know, they weren't perfect. Imagine if, uh, if those guys, if him and Brady and some of those guys like uh, Meta meet, if those guys get uh, perfect conditions, which it doesn't sound like they will, 702 is going bye-bye. Like one of them is going to – I think they push it to 705, 706, truthfully. Absolutely possible. I mean, Very you know, it could, be, it could be that if they, if they get the right conditions – it's absolutely a possibility, you know, flat light, the wind is not beating them up. Uh, you yeah. can see scores like that. Uh, we won't know till, you know, a couple of days, but uh, for sure the potential is there and, you know, they just keep raising the bar. Let's talk about Brady a little bit. If you, uh, if you don't mind. Yep. Just in the last few days, uh, world archery finally released that big documentary that they have been preparing for a couple of years now that was meant to come out this time last year. Uh, called Believe, playing off of B.E., Brady Ellison. And um, by all accounts, it was a, a good documentary. It seems to have gone over really well. People, uh, it, it got what people, what W.A. wanted, which was, you know, focus on the stars of the game. Um, you know, by all accounts, Brady uh, looks really good in that documentary and comes across really, really well, uh, as you'd expect. He's a professional. Um do you think that there's too much expectation built up by stuff like this for him? There's certainly a lot being put on him. Um, I don't think Brady cares. You know, I don't think he's his mentality is not one where it's like, oh, everyone wants me to win. He wants himself to win more than all of you and everybody else wants him to win combined. Sure. So that uh, that. That I don't expect to be an issue, the expectations. I mean, that's more for us as fans, really. Yeah, you're right. So He's put his own expectations on himself. That's, that's a whole separate issue. The hard part about all this is if you look at the body of work as a whole, Brady has won a lot, you know, a yeah. lot of tournaments and, and the hardest events. He's won the events that are the most difficult to win. And – this one's just another event. You know, it's not like he can do anything special because it's the Olympics. And it's not, they don't, they don't go and test them further. You know, the, the events that I think are the most important, the reason why I think Brady's the best is because of how many times he's made the World Cup final, which means over the course of the year, he's been one of the best. Absolutely. And then he wins it frequently too. Yes, yes. So... Now it's just he's got to have everything aligned for that one week, you know, this year, that one week this year, he needs to have it all aligned and have the right things happen outside of his control too. Cause that's half of, 
that's half of winning in archery is what, what your opponent does, what your opponents on the other side of the bracket do, how you qualify, you know, he could just, he could go shoot a great qualification and get unlucky and face a really good archer early on in the rounds. And that might be it, you know? Yeah. And in fact, it happens more frequently that the top qualifiers just don't do that well in the brackets. I mean, you know, historically. The problem with the Olympic Games is it is the most important event in the minds of everybody participating in it, as well as the world looking on. It's the but, only reason they do recurve archery is for the Olympics. Yeah, I won't disagree with you. It, fundamentally, that's what it comes down to. But when you consider what the actual event is, there is so much stuff that's outside the archer's control. It makes it a very cruel event in some ways, Steve. It makes it, it, makes it a very tough event from yep. the standpoint of what you and I might call fairness, right? I'm not saying that it's unfair and that, you know, some judge decided, you know, on a whim to throw out somebody's score or something, nothing like that. I'm just speaking of, you know, the, it really, really puts your head on the chopping block every single shot. And most of our events, they have some redemption if you screw up at least once. These, this one, not so much. Yeah. Uh, and that's, that's what I mean by cruel a little bit. You know, you can, you can uh, look, I will say what happened in 2016. That was kind of cruel to have the number one guy with the Olympic record in the qualifying round go out the way he did. That was just not great. Right. Yeah. If you did this the way they did it back, say in 88, when Jay bars won, where they shot a pass and then they eliminated down, they shot a pass, yeah. they limit, yeah. you know, then you're going to see the Brady's almost always in the finals. The best archers are always going to be there yep. um, or at least get further. But yeah, with the set system as it is, you know, you go shoot, you, you can, uh, and the recurve is so freaking hard and the wind is so hard to judge in some of these stadiums they shoot in. You can go shoot three really good arrows and shoot a 27. Yep, exactly. And the next guy overshoots two, you know, he shoots uh, one good one good arrow, it catches a 10, he shoots two mediocre arrows, and they catch nine, and, you know, he beats you on the set. And then it, that happens three times, and you're done. Yeah, that's absolutely correct. Uh, it, that's, that's the hard part of the game is, like I said, that's why I believe if the Olympics, let's say they went and shot for a month, you know, now Brady and those guys are those top four or five guys, they're running away with it, you know, and, and they're really gonna know who is who because they have, they have that longevity on their side. They're consistently good, but that's not how we play the game. We play the game in a window of, you know, nine to 15 arrows. That's all that matters. You know, my, uh, my closest friend on the Korean team is Ojin Hyuk. We've been friends for a long time. And he's I'm my sad. closest friend as well. Well, it's because it's that kind of guy. You know, he's just I such a just nice human overall, being. Not yeah. even on the team. No, exactly. That's my point. He's one of the nicest that. people in the sport. I've met him. He's a nice guy. And he's, you know, he's looking at the end of his career here, quite frankly. Yeah, I saw that article. Yeah. It's the, the, the article was well done uh, by my friend Jeff Kirschman. Uh, if you that haven't seen it, go to good stuff. He's a professional sports writer, so he's very good at what he does. He's based in China, right? 
Uh, yeah, although I think maybe he's here now. I'm not sure. Um, he, he goes back and forth some. But Jeff, um, you know, is a professional sports writer and that you know, comes across in his work. But he also um, really has done a great job getting into what makes some of these folks tick, as you'd expect from a good sports writer. And, you know, he points out that our friend O has had shoulder problems for quite a while. You know, basically he's shooting with a torn rotator cuff. So when you consider how well he shoots, it's pretty amazing. You know, I've had some shoulder injuries. I wouldn't want to reach for a steering wheel or a doorknob, much less pull a bow. Right. But, yeah, that, you know, that kind of stuff uh, <laughs> with a recurve is just horrible to think about. Yeah. Yeah. So the fact that he's been able to overcome that, and find himself here in Tokyo is a pretty remarkable thing. I, I think if he medals, he's going to go down as one of the all-time greats. Already there, right, because of his Olympic championship, the first Korean man to win the Olympic Games back in 2012. But, you know, that that is what pushes you up into the legend category, I think. And uh, so I'm, I'm particularly both sad and happy that my friend Ojin Hyuk is at this event and he has, you know, got that one last shot. And so, uh, you know, we'll see what happens, but uh, I would really be happy to see him go out on top the way he wants to and the way he's worked hard to do. It's just my personal thought. You know, he's 39 years old now. I'm going to put him well into the legends category already simply because of his duration on the, the Korean team, making the Korean team as many times as he had is harder than winning 10 gold medals in the Olympics. Yeah. So yeah. That's yeah. the truth. That's an excellent point. You, you absolutely totally agree with you on that. That kind of stick to When you consider the talent that Korea has, the depth, the fact that this guy keeps coming back and coming back, is tremendous and tells you something about his mind game. Um, Jeff said in his article that the fact that O is there to give it his all should be terrifying for the rest of the field. I love that <laughs> line. And it's true. It should be. Uh, <laughs> you should be terrified of O Jin Hyuk if, if you are underestimating what he's capable of doing. We'll see what happens. Some sad news. Um, another friend, um, uh, a guy who I first saw as a 17-year-old back in the day uh, has passed away at the age of 47, and that is Simon Terry, the only man in the modern Olympic era to win a medal for an individual at the Olympic Games. Simon did it by beating my best friend Jay Bars in the 1992 Barcelona Olympic Games, won the individual bronze after beating Jay in the uh, quarterfinals. And... Um, I'm very sad to say that uh, he had passed away after a battle with, uh, with cancer. Um, thankfully, uh, you know, in the, in the presence of his family, but uh, you know, Simon was an inspirational guy after Barcelona. Um, he retired from the sport, not entirely of his own uh, wishes. He actually ran into a problem with the British government wanting to take away his, uh, basically his income after he won that bronze medal in Barcelona. A bit of an injustice there, which I'm not going to get into, but uh, came back after 13 years, came back to make the team for the Beijing Olympic Games and then came back again for his final major international event 
which was on home turf at Lord's Cricket Ground in London. And so the last time I got to see him shoot was when I called his arrows at, uh, at the stadium at Lord's Cricket Ground. And I'm sad to say that he's gone, but uh, his legacy remains. Simon Terry. Yeah, I did not know him personally, but I obviously read a lot about what people have said about him in the last couple of days. And uh, seems like a very well-respected guy. Uh, Chris White wrote that he was the best British recurve archer at a time when they had their best teams. And, it, you know, and he's made it seem as if it wasn't even a, a – uh, a close race, you know, he was far ahead of the back. So, yeah, Chris is right. And, um, so, you know, our best wishes for Emma and, uh, family and, uh, sad, but happy we got to know him and happy that he did such a great job representing our sport over the decades. Onward and upward. We have, um, a few more things before we close this out. Uh, we'll go a little shorter today because we've got another one that we'll do when we do have the brackets. We only and, picked uh, mixed team. We didn't yeah, I we didn't I, I figured yeah go talk ahead. we didn't talk about men's or women's team or individual predictions. We did none of that. Well I did bring up some of that stuff, but you know I kind of uh, confusingly threw it in during our discussion of the mixed team. So what are what are your thoughts on on the men's teams to start with? I'm looking at the men's teams and I think it's uh got some parity here. I don't think you have very many strong teams, truthfully. Yeah, I agree. I, I mean, uh, consider that Italy's not there as a team for the men. Yeah, I'm, my my picks in men's team, I'm going to go with Korea. You know, not a hard pick. Unless Kazakhstan just ruins their day like they did in Shanghai a few years ago. It's possible, but um, unlikely, but possible. Yeah, it seems unlikely this time around. Still I'm possible. Gonna go with Korea. I'm going to go with Japan. I'm going to go with the USA. Not necessarily in that order, but that's right. That's my picks. I think the USA has got a lot of momentum. I think Japan will surprise. I think Korea can accidentally, at their worst day, win gold. I think China that's might be a factor. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't know. Right. But I think China could be a factor. They've been a factor for for so long. Uh, we just, you know, because they don't have the same archers coming back time and again, again, a testament to their depth. You know, they're a bit of a mystery for us. Right. Yeah. We're literally going to see their first arrows uh, as a team uh, for both the men and women at this event, because nobody's coming back that's been there before, as far as I'm aware. And so we'll see. Uh, Chinese Taipei could be another one. Yeah, absolutely. Chinese Taipei could be another one. So we'll see. Uh, I think that the situation with uh, Mexico's women could be interesting. So, yeah, looking at the women's side. Um, man, oh, man. How's Japan's team looking? I don't know about them. I know Ren Hayakawa. That's it. Yep. Ren's, Ren's highly experienced. The other two shooters have less international experience. Um, for sure, they have potential as a team. But to be honest with you, um, you know, I've worked with Ren. Um, the other two shooters I'm not as familiar with. 
And, uh, but, you know, what's interesting is that uh, Takahara Furukawa coaches uh, at uh, Kindai University, which used to be called Kinki University because that's the region of Japan that it's in, the Kinki region, the region around Osaka and Kyoto. And, uh, and uh, you know, uh, that is something that they intentively changed when Tokyo got the bid because they figured that international journalists would make fun of the name of that university. K-I-N-K-I. Kinky. Yeah, but to, to address your question, Azusa Yamauchi, and Azusa is in fact 22 years old, the youngest member of the team, but she shot at Kinky University, at Kindai University. Um, and in fact, Furukawa has coached her there. And so, you know, th- there's actually a good shot at the possibility that they will represent Japan in the mixed team event. But this is her first Olympics. It's one of her first international events of any kind. Um, she's certainly the least experienced of all six members of the team. But Furukawa has a lot of confidence in her uh, because he says that she's got no fear. And he thinks that that could be a strength for her. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. So we um, have a, a top three prediction. Yeah. Women's team. Yeah. yeah. You know, and, and speaking for Akawa, by the way, you know, he was originally slated to retire after Tokyo, but now he's going for Paris. So that's pretty cool. Uh, and that'll make him ago. one of the elder statesmen, right? That'll make him one of the older guys by the time he gets done. 36 years old right now. And, uh, you know, the oldest member of the Japanese team right now. But, you know, Japan has men with, uh, shall we say, a little older age with great performances in the past, like Hiroshi Yamamoto, you know, who, who did what he did in 2004. And uh, you know, being older than Furukawa is now at that time. It'll be interesting to see what happens. People like him. So are you going to make a prediction or what? Uh, my prediction is Korea, USA, and Japan. For women's team? Uh, no, for the men's team. For the, for the women's team, Korea. Oh, Chinese Taipei is going to be a factor. I would love to see the USA women do something. Going back, you and I have the same predictions for the men's team then. Korea, USA. Oh, for the men's Japan. team, I'm thinking, I'm, well, yeah, but I don't know if the Japanese women are really going to have what it takes to make the podium at this event. They did in London back in 2012. Ren Hayakawa was the uh, only member of the team who's still here. Uh, we'll see. So you're not going to make a prediction? I guess not. I'll say this. Uh, Yuki Kawata and Hiroki Muto, Takahara Furukawa's teammates, they are good shooters. They can deliver. So we'll see what happens. I don't know what we're talking about anymore. Yeah, I was just jumping back and forth. We may edit really, all of this out. This was the first time I wanted podcast structure. I wanted to go oh, through. Oh, I know. Men's, I know. You, you never want structure, and I always do. And this time, I didn't necessarily want structure, and you do. I See wanted us feels? to get our predictions on board and like record it. All right. So let's start over again. Start the podcast over. Okay. We'll start the podcast over. 
All right. Men's men's team predictions from Steve Anderson. Steve, give us your men's team predictions as we stand now, well over 10 days from when we're really going to know. Korea, Japan, USA. Korea, Japan, USA. Okay. Um, mine, Korea, USA, Japan. So not too far off of yours. Okay. Women's women's team. Women's team predictions. And I just found a major error in the uh, World Archery article. Oh, yeah? They have Yuki Kawata as a men's and a women's team member. Oh, that would be an error. Yuki Kawata is a guy. Okay. All right. So my women's team prediction, Korea, Chinese Taipei, Russia, known as the Russian Olympic Committee or something, ROC, this week. Yeah, that's my that's my women's team pick. Okay, that's an interesting one. Uh, Russia certainly a dark horse pick, but uh, certainly has potential. I believe that we will get surprised by Mexico. I I'm just going to call it right now. I do. I think I think Mexico is going to rise to the occasion. I oh. hope. I hope. You know, Linda's going to be announcing the Olympics in Mexico. No, but that's awesome. Yeah, for one of their major TV networks. So she'll be down there talking about it. It would be great if they made the medal match. Wouldn't it be? That's awesome. Well, we'll see. Um, uh, you know, Korea is, is such a low-hanging fruit. I, I think China could be a challenge. I think China could be a challenge. We'll see what happens. Yeah, you never know. It's so hard to pick. Well, we're going to come back with more predictions after we actually see scores, right? Yeah, let's redo this. This is kind of – and let's do it with structure after qualifications have happened. Okay, I like that idea. Because then we'll, we'll have a bracket. I'll pick. I'll lay out the whole. We'll do March Madness brackets. We'll just. Okay, you do that. We should start a website, code it in to where people can uh, can do that. You know, if we planned this back in April, we might have had a shot at actually getting it done. <laughs> we may have. So, I don't know how that stuff works. Sounds difficult. So before we go, let's talk about Yankton a little bit, Steve. We have uh, just had you get back from the big week of archery activity uh the next to last the penultimate week of archery activity in yankton before the big yankton hub at the end of the season with the world championship and the world cup finals um any thoughts about uh about that event it seems like it was a pretty good one yeah yankton mega week um we got pretty fortunate we didn't have any crazy windy days so those are probably being reserved for world championships right now. <laughs> of course. <laughs> uh, it, it was, in fact, we really barely dealt with wind. It's very rare. Um, as is the case, NFA field nationals was a test of longevity. You know, that's a, that's a round where you got to shoot three, exceptional days you don't have to shoot three great days you just have to shoot three exceptional days and you'll get on the podium so i shot two exceptional days and one like below average day so i shot myself out of it with that that uh below average day but Braden was right there you know Braden. i think braden has got enough volume in his practice that he doesn't really slow down you know doesn't a high a high uh Arrow count over a long day is not a big deal for him. Not that we're shooting a ton of arrows, but you're shooting a hundred, you know, it's 112 scored arrows in NFA field, but the round takes a long time. And we're out there nearly eight hours one day. 
Um, so that, that type of thing is hard to uh, deal with just from a mental endurance perspective. And, and Braden yeah. said something, I heard him say something to uh, in an interview that really it struck home with me. He said, you know what? I, so I try to focus on the arrow. So I focus super hard on what I'm doing. I go through my whole shot process each and every time. And then when we're done, he said, I go and I completely flip the switch mentally and I, I let my mind wander. I go and laugh and make jokes with, you know, the target mates and all that. And then when we get back up to the next target, I flip the switch back on. It's like, that's really interesting because a lot of people struggle to do that. But you can't go out there and be 100% in the zone for eight hours. It just doesn't work. So he has a good approach to it. Um, you know, he's obviously a guy who shoots a lot of X's and in an NFA field that that counts. And he uh, took the win. So there's that Dakota classic, um, you know, NFA's version of a head to head tournament. I'm starting to see some some cracks in that in that type of format just because there's too many. It's become too easy for a lot of people, you know, for people claiming that 50 meters at an 80 centimeter face is getting too easy. Well, now we're shooting 60 yards, all of five yards further at a 92 centimeter face and we're doing it indoors. So you see a lot of 150, 150 ties in the head to head shoot offs. And I don't think that's the way to do it. Um, you know, that game would be fun if it were, a little different, maybe 70 yards or a smaller face, one of the two. So it's fun though, to go play head to head. Some guys, some guys really excel at that. Some guys have never really done it. You know, very good shooters that typically just shoot NFAA events. They may have never done it. So they're not accustomed to the pressure that comes with a head to head match. Um, and then we had, NFA out. I'm just going through them all right now. I'm not stopping. We had, we had NFA outdoor target nationals, which is kind of an interesting format, kind of, kind of weird. Basically shoot. Uh, the first day was 40, 50, 60 yards, 20 arrows at each distance at a 92 centimeter face. That's exactly the same round as we shoot for Dakota classic, but this time it was shot outside. So um, you know, that's day one. And then day two is a bit of a strange one. It's 60 yards, 50 yards, 40 yards, 30 arrows at each distance at 122 centimeter face. So your first 30 arrows kind of decide that tournament. It, you know, most guys are not missing at 50. And they're certainly not missing at 40 on 122 centimeter face. Um, and I don't know what the wind was like that day. I didn't shoot that event. I shot just two of the events. Um, but Braden ended up winning that, shot 900. Him and Kyle Douglas and Tim Gillingham shot 900s. They were the only three. And, uh, you know, based off their scores from the day before, you know, they were – they add them all up, and, and that's the winner. Have a shoot-off if necessary. So, it's a long week. It was a long week in Yankton, but we were pretty fortunate. It wasn't a thousand degrees with a thousand percent humidity like Japan, like you mentioned, how the, the humidity equals the Fahrenheit, um, which often in Yankton it is that way. 
and we weren't we weren't cursed with 30 mile an hour wind days either so like i said those are being reserved for september and <laughs> i don't know yeah i think yankton in september is usually pretty nice for those who are going to be there for for world championships and we went down by the park, which I think is where they – there's a Riverside Park where I think they intend to have the finals. Yeah, I think you're right. Very nice play. Like, that's that's a beautiful setting. It's going to be really cool. I think it'll be great. Awesome. Did the uh, did our favorite restaurants in Yankton survive the pandemic? Oh, yeah. Yankton – they didn't know there was a pandemic there. So right. <laughs> that's kind of true. So, yeah. Did you uh, – did you see the tremendous thing that Jeff Bezos achieved today on the anniversary of the Apollo moon landing? Um, I did see it. Yeah. I ordered a battery charger last night and it was delivered about 20 minutes before we started the podcast. Did he fly it over to, he just dropped it out of the blue origin, huh? 